Let's open in prayer as we get ready to open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the wonderful singing that we've had the opportunity to do. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide us and show us what you would have us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I've been praying probably for three weeks on how much of this chapter I was going to take in one bite. <laughs> uh, because part of it is, you know, uh, we're going to be looking at this part about being a bishop or an elder or overseer, being a pastor, basically. And I look at our church and I go, I don't know how many of us in this church want to be pastors, <laughs> other than me. <laughs> but, you know, we do have a ministry going out on the Internet. There may be somebody listening who has a desire to be a pastor. So we're, we're going to cover it anyway. And we're going to look at this section that Paul talks to Timothy about being a pastor. And I can tell you what you expect of me. <laughs> So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of bishop, he desires a good thing. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the house of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he falls into t condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So we're going to look at some of these things, because this is an important, important aspect. I don't plan to leave, and if you guys want to get rid of me, you now know what to look for a pastor as you go through this. But you know, it starts out, those that desire to be a bishop. You know, and that word for desire is very strong. The word for desire there is those who stretch out to touch it. You know, this isn't just saying they'd like to be. You know, and bishop is an overseer or an elder. Uh, and so you know, when somebody is called to be a pastor, I've heard people go, I think I'm called to be a pastor. And I will tell them, if you, think, if you only think you're called to be a pastor, you're not called to be a pastor. Okay, and it's great advice, and I got it in seminary, and I don't know where it started, and I've heard it from other pa preachers. If you can think of anything you'd rather do than be a pastor, go do it. <laughs> because being a pastor, as much fun as it is, and as wonderful as it is, is a very hard job. And God holds the pastors accountable for their church. What do we teach our church? Not everything you guys do I'm accountable for, but what I teach. And God says, are you teaching correctly? Are you ministering? Are you counseling? Are we helping one another? Are we teaching the truth? And this is why I go line by line, verse by verse, through the Bible, so that even these things that are hard to teach, we teach. <laughs> uh, but he says, if you desire to be a pastor, you desire a good thing. And that desire is a totally different word for desire. That is just a heartfelt wanting. Okay, The one is to reach out and grab hold of, and the other is just wanting to do it. And, you know, have you ever been in a place where you desire to do something, but you never reach out to do it? Uh, you know, uh, some of us, it might be, you know, I want to go do a parachute jump someday. Now, I have not parachuted jump yet. I still want to someday. I'll probably do it when I'm very old, I guess. You know, break my bone when I land. But uh, yeah, I think it'd be fun to jump out of an airplane. Uh, now, I know most people don't think that would be a very fun thing. Uh, you know, but you know, I've also done some really interesting things. I've swam with the sharks. 
uh, out in Guam, we used to land in the, in, where the sharks all gathered, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, but you know, what do we desire? What do we grab out to do? And this is this idea. Do you want something so bad that you reach out? And he says, it is a good thing to desire to be the overseeing elder. But it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. It says, a bishop must be blameless. Now, this is not that they must be perfect, because otherwise we would never have any pastors. <laughs> okay? But it does say it is to be someone against whom no charges can be made that will stick. You know, this is the story when Daniel, remember when Daniel was in Darius's court and his, all of his enemies decided we've got to find something to get rid of this man. And they watched him for a long time and said, there is nothing we can charge him with. Now that did not mean Daniel was a perfect man. It just meant he wasn't going out having an affairs. He wasn't stealing money from the treasury. You know, there was nothing they could say we can't get him, so they made up a new rule to get him, you know, saying you can't pray to any, anybody but the king for 30 days, knowing that he'd pray to God. They go, the only thing we can get him is because of his God. That's what this blameless means. It's not somebody that's going out getting drunk all the time and telling lies and stealing and all that stuff. People look, you know, yeah, that's the guy you want. <laughs> no, it's not. So when you look at this, they need to be of good report, basically. The husband of one wife. Now, this one is controversial. It is all over the map out there. Uh, in the Greek, it says the husband of only one wife, <laughs> all right? which has a few things. Number one, an overseeing elder has to be a man. <laughs> all right? Whether we like it or not in our day and age, it has to be a man that says so, okay? Because it's very hard to be the husband of one wife if you're a woman. Uh, you know, just really hard to do. <laughs> You know, got to make that point, you know, because so, I've heard this in debate. But it says one, only one. Now, there are many and probably most Christians that teach you that if you're divorced, that means that you no longer qualify to be a pastor. I do not agree with that, that line of thought. Uh, there are a handful that says even if your wife dies, you can't have another, another wife. I don't think that's what it's teaching. I really do believe that this teaches against polygamy. You know, you can't have more than one wife at the same time. <laughs> now, if you had somebody who was going out and they got divorced three or four times, they would have a problem in the next section, you know, running, running a good family, you know, being in control of their family. But, you know, and this is something I've had debates with, especially in many Baptist pastors, because most Baptists believe that it is against divorce. They go, well, you're compromising. I go, no, I've never believed that it had anything to do with divorce. Because I have a problem with one sin keeping you from serving God. Okay? If one sin can keep you from serving God, we've got a God that's not worth serving. Because all of us sin. God's grace keeps us from it. The whole of, it, the whole of scriptures is all about his grace and his mercy. Does that mean God forgives and says, okay, well, you can just do that and it doesn't matter? No, it matters. Remember, we've always said sin has consequences, okay? And divorce has great consequences. For people who have been divorced, you know that it has great consequences. I know people who have been divorced for 30, 40 years who still are angry at their former spouse and haven't gotten over it. And it's really bad if you have kids involved. Okay, so divorce is not an answer. It really doesn't solve problems. 
And so this is mine, and I'm just going to tell you, you can believe what you want on this, but I just believe it's, it's against polygamy. And there are lots of scholars that are on that side of the, of the camp, and there are a lot of scholars on the other side of the camp. And as these other places where I tell you there's a division, I will try to tell you what the two divisions are. I will tell you why I believe what I believe, and I'll let them ex defend their position. <laughs> okay? I'll just tell you what they believe. Because I don't believe it. I've gone through a lot of, lot of examination of it. And, you know, a lot of people will go, well, you're just being compromising because whatever. And I go, no, this is literally what I believe. And I have believed it for a long time. I uh, used the Thompson chain. Thompson believes it was on polygamy. A.T. Uh, Robinson believes it's on polygamy. You know, there's many great Christian scholars who believe that it was a prohibition against polygamy. And Timothy was ministering, if you remember from our very introduction, Timothy was ministering in Ephesus. And polygamy was a large problem in Ephesus, or allowed in Ephesus, maybe not a problem. They didn't think it was a problem. It was a way, a way of life to them. So he's saying an elder is not going to have more than one wife. And you know, in the scriptures, when we read about polygamy, a lot of people, well, the Bible teaches that, you, the, uh, that polygamy is good. Well, the Bible never says that polygamy is good. It just says a lot of guys have more than one wife. And when you read their stories, you read that having more than one wife always led to bad things. Uh, you know, and one, one is plenty as far as I'm concerned. You know, uh, one is plenty. And not that I have a bad marriage necessarily, but one is plenty. You know, I would look at, look at Solomon and I don't know how he could handle a thousand. You know, 300 wives and 700 concubines, that's way too many. And he even said it was <laughs> in the scriptures. It, it caused him problems. You know, Jacob had problems with four wives. Okay, Abraham had problems with, with a wife and a concubine. You know, it, it never works out. And here Paul's telling them, an elder, a person in charge, should only have one wife. You know, don't, don't increase your problems. And having said that, as we live our Christian life, we need to be careful not to do things that increase our problems in life. Okay, when God tells us to forgive one another, we should forgive one another. When he tells us to love one another, we should love one another. Because both of those things have great consequences. If you don't forgive people, you have bad feelings, you have all kinds of issues in your life. You don't love one another, there's all kinds of problems in your life as you go forward. You know, and we go, well, it's hard to do those things. Of course it's hard to do it. If it was easy, God wouldn't have told us that we had to do it. We'd have just done it automatically. You know, God keeps telling us you're going to do these things, and why does he tell us? Because they're contrary to our sinful nature. Our sinful nature doesn't want to forgive people. Well, I remember 28 years ago when you did this, and 15 years ago you did this, and 10 years ago you did this, and last week you did this, 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 and this, because I really remember them. You know, doesn't make you feel good. doesn't make the person you're talking feel feel good either. We need to be able to learn to forgive. Drop the, drop the issue with people. Because usually what ends up happening is, oftentimes they've already forgotten. <laughs> and you're just throwing it back up and, and stirring the pot. But you know, real love is to forgive one another. To really go about and say, I love you. you know, we don't go to Peter, he goes to Jesus and goes, how many times should I forgive my brother? Now he thinks he's being really spiritual, he goes, seven times? 
you know, the, the, the scribes teach three, you know, they, you know, three strikes and you're out. They wouldn't even know they didn't have baseball then, but, you know, it was still three strikes and you're out. You, you, you violated them three times and you were unforgivable after that. So Peter's trying to be really generous. He's doubling what they do and saying, I'll even go to the perfect number, Jesus, seven times. Do you remember what Jesus told him? No, 70 times seven, and he didn't mean 490 times. Okay, he didn't say, he wasn't saying keep a tally and when you get to 491, let them have it. Okay, it was an idiom for just keep forgiving them. Now, does that mean you let somebody hurt you over and over and over and over again because you forgive them? Not necessarily, but you forgive them, you let, it, you let go of it. You know, imagine husbands and wives, if we let our forgiveness show to our spouse, what changes would that be in our life? If we let our forgiveness show to some of our friendships that have been broken up because of actual or even perceived injuries, what would our life be like? How would it be different? In our churches, if we would just forgive one another in our churches, what differences would there be when we come together? You know, when we come together and we go, I'm coming together with family that I'm choosing to forgive. Not coming through the door, I'm wondering if so-and-so is here because I'm gonna, if they're here, I gotta sit as far away from I can or I gotta paint a smile on my face and pretend to, be, pretend to be friendly with them. No, we need to learn forgiveness and love. Enough, enough of our sidetrack of pastors. <laughs> um, he goes on, they're to be vigilant. This word means abstaining from wine totally or at least moderately. I don't know how we get a vigilant out of this when it's the, the, the Greek word means to abstain from alcohol. You know, uh, Samuel was, uh, excuse me, Solomon was told that, to, that a king should have, uh, not have much wine because he has to keep his wits about him. Same thing for a pastor. You know, last thing you want to do is talk to somebody who's drunk. You know, what kind of advice do you get from a drunk usually? Uh, if they're even coherent, <laughs> you're not going to get godly advice from them. And this is what he's saying, be sober, be away from the alcohol. He goes on to say on this, then to be sober, and this is not referring to alcohol. <laughs> this is referring to being of a sound mind. The word sober is not used the same way nowadays as much as it used to be. It used to mean to be sober-minded, was to be clear-headed, clear-thinking. Clear it kind of morphed over the years to be uh, not, not taking your alcohol, <laughs> which does make you unclear-headed. So, I mean, it, there is a linking to this. But the pastor needs to be clear-headed. You know, somebody who thinks straight. Then it goes, of good behavior, modest, seemly. You know, this would be the person that when you get together with them, hopefully this is true of all pastors. You know what? I know it's not true of all pastors. But how many of you get together with somebody and then you find yourself talking about things that you shouldn't be talking about? You know, gossiping, uh, off-color comments, uh, you know, but saying the pastor shouldn't be there. <laughs> the pastor should be somebody who is not joking around about things that shouldn't be, not participating in the gospel, not, not going into this. You know, the Bible tells us that we're accountable for every word we speak. You know, for some of us, that should scare us greatly because of how many words we speak and the things we say. 
What kind of counsel do we give? What kind of advice do we give? Is it based upon the word? Or do we make jokes about it? Do we get off color? Pastors should not be there. Now, when we say this, this is the perfect pastor, and there is no perfect pastor out there. <laughs> but this is what we should be looking for. Are these people like this? He goes on to say after that, he goes, they're to be given to hospitality and apt to teach. Given to hospitality, generous. You know, invite people to, to have lunch with them, to, to help them out whenever possible, and then the next one, apt to teach. You know, this is very important. You, you know, uh, I have met pastors who don't like teaching. <laughs> I'm going, okay, but they can. Now, they like the ministering to the people really good. I tend to like the teaching more than the ministry, but I do go, I do the visits, and I send out the cards, and I do the other side. But you know, both parts are very important. That's why I put both of these together, because the given to hospitality is that love of the, love of the people. Going out to the hospital, going into the homes, making the phone calls when they haven't been seen, giving a birthday card or whatever it might be, and to teach. Now, those of you who sit down with me any length of time know that I like to teach because I'm going to bring God into just about every conversation because I want, him to, I want people to grow. And I just have fun talking about God. Always, always have. He goes on and beyond this uh, app to teach. Not given to wine, so you've got to get this picture that being drunken and being given to wine is kind of important to Paul when he's talking about uh, the pastor. And this one literally, not given to wine, is not a drunk. <laughs> okay. He's already said don't, don't use much alcohol or very little and preferred not at all. And now he's saying don't be drunk. And this is the only thing the Bible talks about with alcohol. There's no verse in the Bible that says don't drink alcohol. There's lots of verses that say, don't be drunk. Now, if you're the type of personality that can't drink alcohol without getting drunk, then I'm going to tell you, don't drink. If you're the person who can have a drink of a wine or a beer when you get home and you're not going to get drunk, there's no biblical reason not to. There may be a liberty reason not to. And remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about liberty, that I have the right to do just about anything that's not clearly prohibited in the Bible, but it may not be what's best. If it's going to cause somebody else to sin, my liberty says, don't do it. Okay? And so, Paul's given him permission, you can drink a little bit of wine, or, you know, and I've heard he's going to tell Timothy, because of your stomach issues and some of your sicknesses, go drink a little bit of wine. Because wine had the alcohol, would kill the parasites, and all the stuff that, you know, there are, and we see the studies all the time, that there are good uses for wine. Again, as I say, I don't go out and drink just because there's a few good things because it's had a lot of bad things as well. And Timothy's day, Paul told him, go drink a little wine. You know, quit drinking the water, quit drinking the grape juice, whatever it is you're drinking, get a little bit of wine in there to help your parasites and whatever else you're having. So we bring this up because you know, there are a lot of Christians that say, well, how can you be a Christian? You're drinking. Well, if you're not being drunk, it's not a problem. How can you be a Christian? You're not, you're not a church every time the doors are open. Well, God says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. But he also didn't say be in the church seven days a week. Now, if I had an opportunity, I'd be in the church seven days a week, but that's me. It's not something that I look at as a very negative thing. I love being with God's people. Always have. 
Okay. I've shared with you my testimony. From as far back as I can remember, I went to church. Even though I had a family at the time that didn't go to church. I'm like a lot of our kids here who come to church. Nobody's waking them up. Nobody's making them go to church, and they're here. They want God. Pray for them that they're going to find him. Right now, they're having trouble. They're having a lot of issues in their lives. But pray for the kids in this town that they truly find God. I found him at 10 years old, and it changed my life drastically. Greatest day was my dad got saved two years later. You know, he got saved, and then we got to go to church more than Sunday morning. We went Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other time the doors were open. <laughs> and I was happy. I wanted to do that. But it's not for everybody. You know, sometimes I'll hear, well, how can this person be a Christian because they're doing whatever. <laughs> whatever it might be, fill in the blank. Well, unless you have a verse that says don't do that, don't judge them. God's growing them in their life. And it's very important for us to get this idea. God is growing every single person at the rate that they're supposed to grow at. Because you know, we look at people, and you know what, what standard do we normally judge them? All right, God, you made me do this, you made me do this. Why aren't these people doing it? <laughs> okay? Isn't that right? Just think about the people. When you look at somebody doing something wrong with, in, in a Christian life, what is your standard for t saying they're doing it wrong? It's usually you. God, you, this is what I do to be a good Christian. Why isn't so-and-so doing it this way? And I've said this several times. They're probably looking at you and saying, God, you've made me a good Christian, and this is what you've told me. To do. Why aren't they doing it? You know, we need to stop judging each other on those things and just loving one another. Now, if you're praying for somebody, and if it's something really significant that they're doing wrong, pray for them and go talk to them. But you know what? Whether they smoke or drink or, or come to church every time the doors are open, that's between them and God. Yeah. I don't do any of those things. I don't do the smoking or drinking and never have, never want to, but I'm not going to judge others who do. I don't think they're good. <laughs> but, you know, we need to be careful with this. We need to be careful as we look at other people in the body of Christ. A lot of pastors will use this statement, what if everybody in the church was just like you as a Christian? Now, they're looking at it differently than I want to turn it, because they're looking at, you know, if everybody was just like you, what would, be, what would not be getting done in the church? You know, or are you devoted enough? But I'm going to look at what wouldn't be getting done. Do you realize we need each other in the church, and we need people that are different? We need people who are looking at the cleanliness of the church and saying the church needs to be cleaned. Because there are many of us who look at it and we don't see all the cobwebs and the dust and, the, and this, that, or the other thing. The fact that the floor needs to be mo uh, mowed, yes. <laughs> We're going to start mowing the carpet. <laughs> uh, uh, vacuumed, you know. We have other people who are looking at the outside and saying, you know, boy, this, this place looks terrible. It needs to be taken care of. And others haven't, haven't seen the, what the outside looks like because they just ignore it. We have people who look at the, the lowest and the least of the, of the community and say, these people need help. And other people that have never even noticed them. You know, we need each person in the church with our strengths and our weaknesses for the church to function. And we don't need to be judging one another about what, what you're doing that I don't think is right. and, what I'm, and they're, you know, We need to be careful with that. 
look at one another in love and just say, this is what, you, what, you, what you're at. He goes, not a striker. And that literally means a fighter, a brawler. Uh, you know, uh, not greedy, a filthy lucre. That means trying to get the edge, trying to get money, you know, and being greedy. Uh, you know, we've all met people. They're always trying to get the next big angle. How, am I, how can I get the next angle? What can I do to get the next buck? The pastors aren't supposed to be thinking of that. That doesn't mean they're going to be broke. There's no righteousness in being broke. But they're not supposed to be out there saying, okay, what's the next edge? What's the next, what's the next business opportunity for me? I've met lots of people like that. They're always looking for the next, the next thing that's going to make them rich. You know, now, would I have a problem with being rich? Not particularly. I would love to have the money that I wouldn't need to work outside of the church. Somehow I don't think God's going to do it for me unless it's a miracle. You know, because I'm not going to win the lottery because I don't play the lottery, so I can't win the lottery. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, what is their attitude about trying to do these things? And I've met many, even pastors, that are out there. The, pa- the pastor is to be patient. Now, that really one of those wonderful things, being patient, being gentle. All of us have been told, don't pray for patience. God will, God will allow you to be learning, learning to be patient, you know. But you know, it really is important to be patient and to learn patience. Because he's going to give you patience lessons whether you want to have them or not. So it really doesn't matter whether you pray for them or not. God puts people in our lives that are hard to love. He puts people in our lives that are going to do things that we're going to have to learn forgiveness. He's going to put people in our lives that are just hard to be around. (laughs) And he says, I want you to love them. I want my love for them to come out of you, God says, so that they are loved and protected. Now, is that an easy thing to do? We all know that it's not. (laughs) We all know it is not easy to be that way. We can only do it because of God. And basically, he's saying, be godly. <laughs> the pastor needs to be a godly person. He goes to, again, not a brawler, nor covetousness. Okay, again, we've got another title in there. You know, not a fighter is mentioned twice. Okay, not a, not a drunk was mentioned twice. <laughs> and not covetousness is the same thing as not going after filthy lucre. Okay, he's saying, not trying to gain the world. Now, does that mean, again, the pastors can't have money? No, it just means that that shouldn't be their desire. Yeah. I read an article the other day that uh, it said that the top 50 pastors in the world are making over a million dollars a year. I don't know where they're at, but <laughs> now, they're in South America and, and uh, Europe, and I'm going, that's a lot of money. And I don't know that any pastor's worth a million dollars a year. Now, uh, you know, kind of shocked me when I saw that article, and it was in a secular article, so it really shocked me because now this is the world. All those all pastors are rich. You know, we already have that problem with televangelists always asking for money, and they're bad. You know. But you know, in reality, most pastors do not make very much money, especially when you compare them, compare what they do to what they make. And, and you know, a good pastor really isn't there for the money. Now, now, we need money in this world to live, but we're not here for the money. 
and uh, this is what he's talking about on this. He goes, one who rules his house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man does not know how to rule his house, how shall he be able to take care of the church of God? And this just means he can discipline. He knows how to discipline. He knows how to make and, and grow people. You know, and this is what I'm saying. A lot of people go, because of my thing, that somebody can go get divorced three or four times, five times. No, because then he's not running his house. There's another part in there. He's, if somebody's getting divorced that many times, they don't fit that. They're not ru ruling their house. So ruling their house, does that mean he's going to have a perfect family? No. You know, most pastors' kids are terrors in the church. Okay. And there's a two-part two to that. Number one, most pastors are too busy taking care of the church. They don't take care of their family. But you know the other reason that a lot of these pastors' kids are terrors in the church? Is the church members. <laughs> the church members go, this is the pastor's kid. He's going to be the perfect example in everything that he does. So you've got three kids in the back playing in the, playing in the baptistry because there's water in it, being kids, and you say to the, to the kids, get out of here, and then you really chew out the pastor's kid because he should really know better. He's the pastor's kid. But the other two, you just kind of let go. You guys shouldn't be playing in, the, playing in the water. And we do this over and over and over to pastor's kids, and then we wonder why the pastor's kids rebel. Because they're held to such a high standard <laughs> that they can't live it, that they're a kid. You know, they're running around the church because to them they've been there a lot. And we get after them. Sad thing is, sometimes it's done to pastors' wives. You know, a lot of churches hire a pastor and expect that when they get the pastor and their wife, they got a two-for-one. <laughs> it's not always true. Often it is, but it's not always true. So we want to be careful about these things as, as, as believers. So it goes on to say, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he falls into condemnation of the devil. Now, this happens a lot when when a superstar athlete or a singer or an actor gets saved, you know, they've been a Christian for two minutes, and the first thing that people do is put them on a stage to preach a message. Okay? And you go, well, what are they, they going to tell them? They probably don't know anything about this book. Now, if they're calling them up to give a testimony, praise God. Let them give them their testimony, but... They don't know enough to be put in front of the people as a teacher. You know, not a novice. Because then you get, oh, everybody thinks I'm really important. They want to hear what I say. Well, they don't want to hear what you're saying for the right reasons. We need to be careful with this. You know, what are we looking for as we're looking for people to be our teachers and our, and our leaders? And it's very important, you know, not to grab hold of these, these new people, even though they're well-known. I can't, I've been thinking on this because I paid so little attention. I was trying to think of somebody who was, who was famous that was put into this kind of uh, position, and I couldn't think of anybody off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, it happens a lot. You know, so-and-so just got saved. Let's get them in front. We'll have a huge crowd listening to him. Yeah, but what's he going to tell them? You know, you know it's not going to have anything to tell them. And then the last thing you do to pastor is you must have a good report with those which are without, lest he fall into reproach and a snare to the devil. In other words, you can't have just a good reputation in the church. If the people outside look, you know, that's your pastor. He's in the bar with me every, every week getting drunk and falling down drunk when he leaves. You know, that's your pastor. 
Now, that's your pastor. He's going to fight every time, you, every time we see him. He's fighting with somebody. You know, we need to be careful with this. Is the report, not just amongst Christians, a good report, but out amongst the town? Do they have a, yeah, I can see that that guy's, you know, I don't see anything about him. may not be perfect, but he's a good, good man. I, I trust him. So these are the things about being a pastor. Hopefully it's good for somebody that's listening. Uh, maybe if somebody, maybe one of you men want to be a pastor, but I don't know anything about it. We'll work on that. We'll help you out. But, you know, what does it mean to be the leader? It is so deep, it is so important to be able to lead the church because we're representing Jesus. And each one of us is to be seeking after God. And Paul even is going to tell Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. How many people are following you in your, in your life? You know, do you have grandkids that are looking at you and saying, what, are, what is a Christian like? Nieces, nephews, cousins, aunts, uncles, whatever it might be. Who's looking at you and saying, is, this is what a Christian is supposed to be like? Every one of us have people looking at us, whether we know it or not. We all have people looking at us. When they know that you're a Christian, they're going to be looking at you and saying, what is a Christian? How do they live? And I've said this before. If you're, if you're claiming to be a Christian on your block and the police are at your house every week uh, fixing fights and stuff, what does that tell your neighbors? You know, uh, they're just like us. There's nothing about this Christianity that's worth anything. You know, there's a house down my street that's always got the police cars at it because they're always fighting. Now, they don't claim to be Christian as far as I know, but if they did, it would be a very bad testimony. You know that every Friday, every Saturday night, the police, police officer is going to be at that house. Pretty sad testimony of their life. What is our testimony before our family? What is our testimony before our, in front of our neighbors? Do our neighbors even know that we're a Christian? That's something that's very important. Do your, do your neighbors even know that you're a Christian? Hopefully they do. And I know for most of us, and many of you in here, I know that they know. Now, I've talked to most of my friend, neighbors, and if I haven't, my son definitely has. <laughs> you, you all know Samuel. He's always telling people about Jesus, inviting them to church and, and everything. And I've talked to most of my immediate neighbors as well. You know, but do our neighbors know that we're a Christian? Do your family members know that you're a Christian? When they look at your life, do they believe that you're a Christian? <laughs> you know, and again, we're not going to be able to live perfectly, but people should be able to say there's something different in your life. We're to be ready to give an answer to everybody who asks a question, which means we should be living in a way that people ask questions. You know, at the prison, I get it a lot. The, the guys that watch me and those prisoners watch, many of them will go, why do you smile as, as much as you do? And I love to get that question because I get to tell them all about Jesus. You know, why are you so patient, you know, and I get to tell them about Jesus? Does your life live a way that says, there's something different about me, come and ask me about it? Hopefully it's true. If it's not, pray God to help you out get that kind of a life. Because it is so critical that we do this thing. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, while this message is mostly for pastors, there are avenues of it that are important to everybody. We ask that you guide and keep us. Lord, if there's anybody that needs to know you, that they will come to you and recognize that they are a sinner in need of salvation. 
and ask you to come into their life. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that needs healing, physically, spiritually, or emotionally, we ask right now that they will just pray and ask for your healing. And we just thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.